Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the discussion. There's some areas that I'm not moderating well right now, and I'm not even aware of them. But as you become aware, you can slowly pivot that towards, okay, what is actually serving me here and what is not? And one of those areas that, that we're all challenged with is our diet. And how, does, how is our diet moderated? How do we learn our diet? How do we apply it? How is it based into our pleasure-seeking system where you have a birthday, what do we do? We go get a meal. You, you just got a, a, a new job, you go get a meal. Somebody had a birthday, you go get a meal. I had a hard day. I need to go cheer up. I want something sweet. This morning was a bad meeting. I need a, a candy bar to get me past it. I deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we will chase food to try to fill a, an imbalance in our life, to re reference a different show we had, to a peg of food, to fill a hole of insecurity or whatever it might be. And whenever you find yourself doing that, it is a good eye-opening opportunity to find out where you can improve on that regard. Because we joke about whenever somebody, nobody's handing out hundreds, but if somebody tried to hand me a hundred dollar bill, I'd say, no thanks, I got plenty. Yeah. But think about that. That's exactly what you would want to have the ability to do if I was walking around full. I had just eaten a meal. Someone walks up to me with a whole pizza and says, here you go. I mean, no, thank you. I've already had enough. I don't want to eat anymore. I don't need any more. Even if it's in. free? Even if it's free. You don't want more. You don't want more pizza, At more donuts point, if it's free. It has to be enough. It's, it's not free, though. No. That's the myth. It's free when it goes in your mouth. Very good point. It is not free when, when you're trying to get it off of your body. It's not free when you're in your early 40s and you're now on high blood pressure medicine. There, there is a lot of bondage that's centered around food. And you and I both have, we both have different diet practices. I, I think what is common is that we have played around with our diets. Oh, I've turned it all the way up. And I've turned it all the way down. I've took extremes in both ways. Yeah, I, I grew up in the 90s trying to lift weights where I was confused about low fat. And so I would eat carbs because we were in that motion where fat is bad. And it's a bad four-letter word. It's missing a word, missing a letter. It's a bad... It's a fat with a PH. Yeah. Well, that was... A, <laughs> That was just my pants, but I got you. Anyway, anyway, there, there's a there's a challenge there with understanding diet and diets. So it's a religion we all have to establish. There, there's not something you can take from past generations. They grew up on Coca Cola and McDonald's. They're not going to help you today. You have to chart your own path around diet, and moderation will eventually play a role, or it won't. And if you don't have moderation in your diet, at some point in time, it's going to create suffering for you. And it's largely unnecessary because your mouth gives you moments of pleasure that your body has to take years to work off. And a so, moment on the lips is forever on the hips. That's it. I think I heard a hippopotamus on a uh, magnet tell me that. It seems fitting. But diet, diet is an area where I, I still don't know if I'm in my final state, but I'm, I'm, I've moderated. I've learned to moderate. And some days I don't. This past weekend, I had three cupcakes. And this coming weekend, I might have three more cupcakes, and that's okay. It because is. in the middle, I'm going to moderate. I'm going to get back to what I to the foods that fuel me. And we talked about diets. I, if somebody asks me, how do you describe your diet? I don't have a description for my diet. My diet is based off the foods that give me energy, and I do my best to remove the foods that remove energy. 
So I eat for energy. And for me, that's been a lifelong lab. I've been trying to figure it out. And, and I get it down to X amount of foods that I like, which is not a big basket. And I go back to those foods that I know will treat me the way I want to be treated, that I know will give me the energy that I seek, that comes with the highest level of my existence. It involves a good diet. Yeah, you eat to live. You're not living to eat. Because <laughs> too many of us right now, whenever you're chasing that joy in what you're about to eat, you're, you're living to eat. Yeah, and, and what you just described is exactly more what you should lean into is eating to live. One of the, the, the things that I, I did whenever we talked about alcoholism and have, have felt a, a life-threatening pull towards something. <laughs> and once you feel how that feels, if you can put some control to that, it can be a very powerful force in your life. You, you've heard me say this on Laura Watts one time. I was like, you, if you really want to affect evolutionary change on yourself or anything in your environment, you got to get addicted to that. You've got to go into it like your life depends on it. And, and, and you'd be amazed at the feelings you can get when you lean into being addicted to life in the right way. It is not through food, but generally it's through movement is where I enjoy it. These bodies that we all have, we're meant to, to move in many ways. And you really can start finding some highs in life when you start utilizing that. It can only be done when you really lean into it, though. You've got to go hard. You've got to get extreme with a little bit of your physical exertion to get that stiff line of endorphins that you can get from an exercise. And anybody who's done enough exercise has felt that. And that's one of the reasons it keeps you going in each day. But you got to go in, you got to go hard. You got to lean into that to get that endorphin boost or, or to get a, a nice stiff shot of confidence that you can walk around with all the time because you have a healthy, very functioning uh, body because of moderation choices that you've made. It's almost like extreme moderation as far as it comes to diet. But when it comes to physical movement and what you do with your body, all the way up on the extreme side. And one of the ways that you can lean into that is turn it all the way down too. Like Brian Wilson said, we're just going to lie in bed. What do you need lie in bed for like a year or something? Lying in bed like Brian Wilson. That's a bare naked lady song. Yeah. 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 And, and no, but that like, that really happened. So you've got someone who decided to lay on that grenade for all of us. Let's see what extreme lack of living will do for you. I don't think it got Brian to a happy place. I honestly don't know the end story. Who knows? Maybe he's in a coma and he's loving life. But I just don't think that was the way to go based on my experience with turning physical activity all the way up. Yeah, you said it. We're built to move. And, mm -hmm. and the more we move, the better we feel. And there's a high that can come from fitness that just becomes your disposition. And I, th I think that's what's interesting. When you do get yourself into decent fitness, which that's a continuing journey. You don't arrive and just stop there. You keep moving through that. You'll get yourself to a place of fitness. You'll get bored at the mode at which you got fit. And now you got to change. Or now you got to do a little something different. Or you'll be like, I'm at, well, I'm, I'm leaned into it too much. I, yeah, it's great to push your body to extremes. And lo and behold, I went ahead and went too far beyond that. I, I loved the phrase, every day's ab day. So you were I living like, that life. Huh? I was living it. I was like, all right, you know what? Every day's ab day twice a day. <laughs> you were really going to get ripped up. Huh? I was, I, I just could, I honestly, I would go into the gym. I couldn't get enough. The only way that I was going to be able to control what I was doing at the gym was to not go. Yeah. And I went through a few weeks there where you and I got to start our day in there. 
And then my wife got interested in it. So I'd go back with her in the afternoon. And there was a day or two where my child, he's 16 now, kind of getting into a fitness journey. He would ask me later in that night. You know, there were, there were, I was having two and three a days there for a while whenever everybody was kind of getting into it. At 45 years old. Yeah, 45. You're working out three times a day. Yeah, well, when you got the time and the energy. <laughs> and then, well, and also and when I was you're... getting such good results from it. Like, honestly, it was, it was working. Yeah. Until it wasn't. You find out where that is. Your body's got to rest a little bit. It does, no matter Especially how. when you're in the business of tearing it down, you got to let it rest a little bit. No matter how good it feels, there will be moderation and excess in life in every single facet. And I highly recommend exploring all ranges of it. With your diet specifically and, and your fitness, those are places where I, I think you, everybody needs to tune in to what, what's working for me. And yeah, I can take what the expert tells me, but the keto diet might not be for me. And maybe the high-carb diet isn't for me. But what makes me feel good? Because feeling good is my obligation. Feeling good is my responsibility. Nobody else can make me feel good. They can give me advice. A personal trainer can hover over me and tell me, get two more. My mom can tell me, hey, I, I, you shouldn't eat a corn dog after you had a hot dog for lunch. But I've got to experience it. And then I have to do my own responsibility for my existence. And that involves moderating my diet. That involves moderating the, the amount of expert uh, guidance I get. Uh, because I, I, could, I could dine on keto today, high carb tomorrow, low fat somewhere in between. These are all options. But yeah. what makes James feel good? That's James's responsibility. And so I'm learning this. I didn't learn this for a long time. And this may not be where I end up, but this feels right. I'm eating and I'm engaging in activity that makes me feel good. And I've accepted that as my responsibility. And that may be a keto diet with fruit involved. That may be, as it turns out with me, it's leaning towards a whole foods diet. Uh, and, and I don't even moderate my fruit. When I get that need to gorge, when I get that need to leave moderation, I apply a little bit of strategy to it. You ever try to gorge on apples? Carrots and broccoli are my favorite. Okay. <laughs> I can get about three apples in, and the monster goes to bed. Three apples in, I'm done. And so I figured that out somewhere along the way, that when the guy that shows up that can't get enough food in his belly, set him on a trough of apples, see how long he can go on that. He'll eventually yield. I mean, you're not going to OD on apples. No, yo, you, you've applied moderation in your choices, but then went ahead and applied excess into what you chose. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a fine way to do it. One of the biggest needle moves I ever had on health or when it comes to diet was whenever I cut out sugar for a month. I was amazed at the amount of energy, of how little sleep I was getting and how little sleep I needed, clarity of thought. There was just so much that opened up in my life whenever I tried to turn the swings in energy all the way off. Oh, the swings in energy with sugar are dramatic. And you get a little bit of mouth pleasure. What do you, what do you think? You chew on a piece of pie for like maybe a minute and a half? Yeah, and that's the problem is that you get that joy. No matter how small that joy is, that joy happens right then. It's kind of like that bird in the hand's better than two in the bush. <laughs> See, almost sometimes a healthy food choice you got, you got 10 birds in the bush, but you're giving up that, that one sugar taste right now. So you do kind of have to give up that bird in the hand if you're looking at it from a pleasure or a joy standpoint. 
that joy that you put in the bank down the road that's going to gain interest of a food, good food choice is way better than that instant gratification you're getting by eating that pie right away. Or if you can reprogram yourself to believe in, I'm eating this because it's good for me and deny your palate what it wants or reprogram your palate to believe that I'm going to go after natural foods. I'm not going to go after high sugar, high salt, these things that are, that are thrown on top of foods to enhance foods. When you focus just on the foods themselves, the, the dynamic can change. Can you get excited about eating food that you know will make you feel good two, three hours from now? Is it possible? You can if you have built the motivation by being aware at how the other food choices were making you not happy. Yeah. You see what I mean? It takes awareness to, to start realizing what it has done to you. I, I sometimes wonder if that's all that ever opened my eyes to break out of the addictions that I did. You know, there wasn't a whole lot that changed. I think we tried to ask whenever you on the show, like, okay, great. You struggled with addiction for 15 years. How'd you turn it off? If I had to just magically say what it might've been, it would maybe have just been awareness. That is one thing I don't believe that you could turn up too high. And that is all that you have in this world is what's happening right now. And if you can bring every bit of awareness to that, that's like having present vision 2020 instead of saying hindsight's 2020 because that's all that we end up doing it's just it took that long for awareness to catch up so we could see what we we're doing in that moment that what we want to do is see what we're doing in this moment and that can only come through turning up your awareness which it can be challenging it can be challenging sometimes in social environments when everybody's going to eat dinner at you name the joint that's got a lot of fried food or excessive carbs or whatever you're trying to avoid it's it's challenging at times to even moderate your need to be around other people and say, yeah, I know when I go to these places, the decisions are not great for me. And so I'm going to step away from this moment of pleasure because I'm working on creating this vessel that doesn't seek moments of pleasure. I'm working on creating this vessel that's happy with whole foods, happy with a simple diet, happy with foods that make me feel good. That's happy with this present moment. One of the quotes I've heard recently that I really has spoke to me is happiness is just the absence of seeking happiness. Happiness is the absence of seeking happiness. Okay. It's just saying I'm already there. <laughs> it's like uh, if you were a cat, happiness is your tail. Whenever you stop chasing it, you realize it's just following you around all the time. Just turn around, be aware of it and smile. Mm -hmm. okay. But you find that out with your awareness in the moment by diving into how much attention can I pay to what's right in front of me? It's an inventory of self. And we get off of that in, in, in almost every aspect of society. Almost everything is pulling us away from that awareness in the moment. I mean, one of the things that I can't hardly stand to see anymore, and we want to talk about in place where moderation needs to be turned up or completely off, and that is on screen time. The amount that we will sit with a phone in our hand and stare at it while life is going on everywhere else around us. That right there is addiction. I, I feel like I'm switching off screens. I am not going to carry that thing around in my pocket anymore. So the best way, one of the easiest ways is just to not have it around. But with phone screens, what we're doing is the equivalent of me carrying around a beer can helmet with two straws in my it's mouth. It's always there. And then trying not to drink 
<laughs> that phone in your hand at all times is going to keep pulling you to it. And you may not see it yet, how much it's affecting your awareness in your present moment. But man, I, I sure have seen it myself by not staring at my phone. Yeah, it's a weird conundrum we have. We have all this convenience in front of us. And we, we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole and gotten lost there. And our kids see it at times. Our, our kids will command our attention. And they're learning from watching I, I, us. That's what scares me. How many of these children are going to grow up to be even worse? Because some of what you see right now, we're all 30, 40, 50-year-old adults who did live some of our life before the phone. We know what it is like to go to our kids' sporting event and just watch the sporting event. You know, and supposed to, to be present. Like, okay. that's really what we're talking about. We know what it's like to be present and to not have the other person or some other person's ability to disrupt your presence from their own disruption of presence. All right, I'm, I'm going to get in my phone where I've lost my presence and I'm going to disrupt you in your presence. And it's, it's handy at times, but we've lost the reins. And like you said, we're learning how to deal with that. We're learning how to not get locked in these long scrolls and then in all the attention piece that comes along with social media, the belief that these are friends, that somehow a box I check now becomes my friend. But really, they're, they're people. They're people like you and I, but they're not friendships. We don't, we don't share moments. We don't share heartbeat. We don't share breath. There's you know, something different, but in using the nomenclature that, that we have now, it also, it takes this friend concept and it twirls it around in our head and it makes us think we can be popular by X amount of followers, X amount of viewers. And you and I are in this conundrum right now because we're two guys that are 45 years old. And as we build this podcast, we build this podcast because we have a message that we want to get out to the world. We want to help people. We like want to help people. But we're now stuck with having to build a social media presence. And so you and I, like two people who just got paroled from a 20-year stint, we are trying to figure out what this social media thing means and how do we engage it in a healthy manner and how do we, how are we proud of our art without the appreciation of others? Is our art or our message, is it only as valuable as the amount of people that say follow or say like? Is that really why we're here? I mean, they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so to some extent, yeah. But what what I, I kind of see as an eye-opening thing on this, oh, I watched a little thing about the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial. And one of the things they mentioned on that was that a little bit of the reason it seems like he might have won in that trial was because he won the public of the media. Public square. He won the, the vote of public opinion is <laughs> on his behalf. He won public opinion on whatever social medium they did. Now, in this documentary, they started looking into who was social opinion, who encompassed those 40,000 likes that he got. Most of it was bots. Like, we're not even trying yeah, to Yeah, we don't even really know what people. it is. Yeah. <laughs> we are only appealing to our phone and the little acknowledgement on there that it says somebody liked you. None of that has to do with human connection yeah. at all. But how much of us would probably give up one good friendship if we had 30,000 followers that aren't actually friends. They aren't even friends. They we don't know where they live. What, and, and like you brought up the question, are they even real? Are they bots that are, that are produced by 
I don't know what the motive is to produce these fake follows or fake likes, but it could be as important as swaying public opinion. Because if, if you and I are, if we're going to hop on YouTube, are, are we looking for stuff that has no likes, no views? Oh, we want the most likes, the most views. That becomes surrogate indication of quality. And so if I can bot up my views on my life, by the way, dude, how do we get some bots? Where do we go? Yeah, is that is Bot Mart? Who owns the bots? I don't know, but we need some. Somehow, apparently, Johnny Depp had some. We need an <laughs> army of bots. I wonder if we could connect with Johnny and say, man, what, what is the, what's the inside? How do we get these bots on our side? Because hey, that seems to be people, the movement. We, we sound like 45-year-olds <laughs> now. I bet you said anybody else that's listening probably already knows how this works. Or maybe they don't. I, no, we don't I know, don't know what works. I don't know. The That's disingenuous. We don't know how that works. Standing with how they're fighting a losing battle with that phone. I know you can create an unlimited number of profiles, and you can do whatever you'd like to with those profiles. And I see some companies like Twitter that are trying to now anchor your phone, phone number to that. But I think if you had enough phone numbers and enough ways to get those texts, you'd probably build as many accounts as you want. And so, but we've also passed through the early 2000s when none of those checks were in place. So this theory of, of likes and what comes out of the anonymity, we're yet to really unwind what exactly we're living through and how that's guiding our behavior and what may or may not be real. And as you mentioned earlier, now we are unequipped to lead the next generation when it comes to these devices and what they're doing to our presence. And if all we have is our presence, if all we have is this moment, and we're giving this moment to megapixels or to jewels dropping down from the screen that we're trying to organize in a real fast motion. If that's where we're giving our presence, then we really need to be honest about what exactly we're accomplishing in this life and what model are we setting for our children that don't even have the mature minds of you and I that are now subject to some of the same stimulus that you and I are, are just now awakening to the fact that, whoa, wait a minute. This is taking my presence, and my presence is all I have, then this device is somehow stealing my life. And now I'll drive past a bus stop in the morning and where kids used to throw footballs or frisbees or be kick flipping on a skateboard. I look at 10, 12 kids all neck down, all neck down in their phones, all avoiding the social interaction that was critical to you and I's development. The bus was a big part of my existence. That standing around, waiting on something, that, that was where I practiced my human interaction skills. And I didn't know it at the time. I was just hanging out doing what kids do. But I look at the bus stop and I see 10 kids with their heads down. And I wonder, is this how we de-evolve? Right? We, we, we evolve to a walking position where our head's up. Are we now de-evolving and we're just going to start looking down? And no, and, it, and so as we, we next thing you know, we're back on all four. Yeah, we're looking at we're, we're arcing our head down to where the ground is the only yeah. option. And again, you're off in this box of uh, that's taken your presence, and you you wonder like, what joy am I getting from this that is not readily available in the human right next to me? Is it another human at another bus stop with 10, 12 people where they're all looking at their box? And so we have all these moments of deceptive loss of presence that we're all flinging around at each other. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ping you from my box because my presence in its current state isn't good enough. So I want to know what Trace is doing. So, hey, Trace, laugh at this. Hey, Trace, look at what this politician did. And then you get on it 
and your presence is now completely detached from where you were moments before, and now you're losing your presence. The moderation with our phones, with our devices, is something that we're going to have to grow through here, a pretty rapid clip. Yeah, I think what you're kind of touching on, I can't, I just keep hearing in my head, is it, to an extent, we're waging war between connection versus presence. Because being outside the social media realm my whole life, basically, I have seen a disconnection that I've lived through. My, my, my wife is eyeballs deep in Facebook. She's, she's really good at it. It markets with her business. She's very interesting. She's got a good life. She writes a good story. She's been living that life and connection with thousands of people that I've looked from a distance and been mildly impressed with. We'll bump into people at the store all the time, and she already knows them. They talk about what the kids are up to. She has a connection with like close to 2,000 people that I can't even fathom having a very minimal connection with that many people. You will soon. I go the other way. I am more that one connection, dive all the way in. A presence with the person is a lot more where my natural tendencies fall towards, as opposed to the connection that comes from that distraction into the phone. Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at there is there's benefit to it. The way human beings have connected via social media and shared ideas is a beautiful thing. And it needs to keep happening. But it doesn't need to keep happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the screen just sitting in your phone or in your pocket. Yeah, we got true goal is to get de-screened. I understand the benefits we've gotten from screens in our pocket, but honestly, I'd like to just go back to having a pager. If there is an important phone, because I mean, honestly, that's what we started carrying around these yeah. little awareness stealing addiction devices. What if someone needs to get in touch with me? You page 911, oh, remember that? Call. You page 911. <laughs> yeah, but then you can't. Right now. Yeah, 911. <laughs> hey, remember there for a moment, anybody had a pager was a drug dealer? Oh, yeah. Oh, my wife went through that. She was a real estate agent whenever she was in high school. And she got called into the principal's office because she had a pager. They called her mom up there and said that there's probably something wrong. Only the people that are drug dealers will be the ones <laughs> carrying around these pages. And her mom like stood up like Harper Valley PTA is like, no, she's also a real estate agent. They need to be connected. She, she really enjoyed that. That, uh, that my, mom, uh, my mom wouldn't let me play with kids that had pagers. So that, <laughs> that landed about in seventh grade. And so I had a buddy named uh, Nick. And anytime Nick came over, the pager was kind of goofy. Because it, you still had to get back to a landline to make something happen. So it was like this little smoke signal that we could send out. And at that time, we were in seventh, eighth grade. We're in eighth grade. Like, who, who needs to get a hold of you? It's no mostly way. just mama going, hey, you need to get home. You better get home. And now she gets the pleasure by digitally being able to say, get, get your butt home. But at that time, my mom, my mom thought that Nick was a very bad influence in my life because he had a pager. And I didn't have the maturity to tell her. Otherwise, I was somewhat mesmerized by the fact that he had this little piece of technology that could fling a signal through the air and draw his attention. I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, on a summer day, when Nick's out gallivanting around, it was a page Nick, and he'll call you from a, a landline or a payphone, mm -hmm. and then you can connect. And, and so it did have that beginning of connectivity. And I think connectivity, like you said, it's somewhat of a superpower. It's a power that we didn't used to be able to have. Mm. I couldn't have a conversation with somebody on the other end of the globe. I can now, but what do I do with it? We don't even know yet. We're, we're learning. And it's something you said earlier that I, I will go against a little bit, saying that 
we're, we're unequipped to solve this problem of awareness with our phones. But because of how we look, like right now, we look like a bunch of adults that are inequipped with how to handle this phone that's taking our attention away. But I would have to argue we're the only ones that are equipped. We are the ones that are still healthy, mind, body. <laughs> we're still young enough to affect change in this world. But we're also old enough that we're the last generation that saw it before. We know what it was like to not see adults walking around staring at the palms of their hands. And I do truly believe we're going to get back away from that. We have to find some middle ground. We, and it is really is our generational obligation right now to find some middle ground where we use these devices to enable us and not disable us. And I think right now we're having a hard time really understanding where that place is. And a lot of it has to do with the social cues and the likes and the friends and the, the things that we know that's nomenclature that's been bastardized and spun towards this new existence. And this new existence is, is connectivity and passing of information. But right now, the connectivity is in dragging our head in a downward motion where we just stare at this device in our hands way too often. And I, I think we'll grow through this. We're all slowly becoming aware of the fact that phones are present stealers. Mm -hmm. They're presence destroyers. Even in the past couple of years, if you ran into me two, three years ago, I was bad about sending something I found on Twitter to a friend or something I found on YouTube to a friend. I used to fling that stuff around. If I found it interesting, I would let somebody know about it. And then it just... It, hey, and on the other end of that, I'm the kind of person that when you send that to them, I got to let you know right now. I, I, I can't let your Success. joke sit. I've yeah. got to let you know, oh, I don't want him to feel bad about this joke. <laughs> I've got to hurry up and tell him I'm laughing. Yeah. And you could be... So I've really stolen your presence, right? It goes both ways. But what, what, I've grown to, what I've grown to learn just in the last couple of years is nobody needs to hear from me that much. Nobody needs to hear from what I think is interesting or what I think is funny. Save it up. Find the really special stuff and make your voice matter. If you're flinging your voice around through text or Facebook, if you're talking a lot as if you've got an audience on the other end of this, and then you're going back and you're checking your likes and your favorites, and that's giving you feedback on who you are, you're going to grow through this. Inevitably, you will. You'll have this moment when you realize, wow, these are not the connections that I associate with terms like friends. These are something different. And there are things that can empower me here, but if I try to act like they're friends and I try to act like they deserve my ever-loving presence, I start to lose from myself a bit because I only know myself in the present. And the more presence I give you, the less of me I have. And that's the balance I think we're working through with these devices. We're trying to understand how this enables me, but doesn't debilitate my presence. And they're gonna, there's going to be a medium somewhere in there. It's, it's too powerful a mode. It's too powerful a, a mechanism for us not to eventually learn how to use them. We're in an early state right now, and we're trying to figure it out, and we're getting a little bit of mud on our shoes, and sometimes in our eyes, and then sometimes we go there to get our feelings hurt, and I can only imagine what children are going through right now. That, that part scares me, how when you and I had conflict at school, we had sanctity in our house. We could go home. And no matter how bad you got your butt kicked, you could go home you could and you could lick your wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got beat up so bad one time in seventh grade. <laughs> this was a year ago in a fight. You know you're going to lose. <laughs> you know you're going to lose. And this guy was somewhat picking on me. And I decided that 
it was time that I took my stand. And so old school, we aligned things the way you did back behind the gym. And I'm so nervous, man. I'm sick to my stomach. I didn't eat lunch. I know I can't back down from this because my ego is all wrapped up in it. At the same time, I know this is not going to be pretty. And so part of my hope is in these debilitating thoughts I'm having going into this fight, I didn't know about the power of positive thought. All I could think about was, man, his right hand is really going to make my left eye feel bad. <laughs> I was thinking, we'll just, well, hopefully this ends quickly. And hopefully it's not too bad. And so, sure enough, the fight was bad. He landed quite a few blows on my face and maybe even a couple knees to my ribs. And finally, it got broken up. And the pill that I took, which was for my ego, it was able to walk home. And I had some friends walk home with me. And I was beaten and battered. But thankfully, you got friends like that in that moment that, that are still hanging with you. You know, the good friends that can pick your butt up when you've gotten your butt kicked. Those are your friends. Mm -hmm. Be close to those people. Those are the people that are important in your life. And if you don't have them yet, they're around you somewhere. Just identify them. But now, now today, I think about how that would play out. And how that would play out is the buildup would be through the phones. The buildup would be the chatter. And then there would be a large crowd. And then how many people are going to video this? How many people are going to video me getting my butt kicked and then how will it live on in infamy? I don't have the ability to walk that off, to go home. Me, as it turns out, me and that guy at a later point in time became friends. If I would have had to have lived a reloop of me getting my butt kicked on Twitter or Facebook, we would have never been friends. My self-worth? How would I even showed up at school the next day? I know there are kids that have gone through this, and my heart bleeds for them. There are challenges today with these devices that are altering childhoods in ways that we don't quite understand yet. And it's going to take a little time to look back on them. But we as parents, it's really our obligation to, to start understanding. To, yeah, to start growing, to start understanding that, yeah, it, we need limits. And if we don't have limits, then the the gaps are the the places that are social safe places. Almost not even limits. Moderation. Moderation. Mm -hmm. I can't go home and and tend to my wounds when my wounds won't stop showing up on my screen. And it's important as parents that we keep an eye out for these things because there is, I think there's more fuel in that fire than there used to be. It used to be simple to get your butt kicked. It used to be simple to go home and get over it. To let go of the past. To just, to be present. Mm -hmm. But now my presence has got to follow me because it was captured. And now I got likes and dislikes and all kinds of stuff around a moment that I would rather just have die off in the past. And so I worry for our children in these moments. And I think they'll grow through this along with us, as you say, it's always supposed to be. But in this time with social media, I think we have to really be candid about our attention and how it's creeping into our houses and how we're allowing it to creep into our houses. Yeah. Is your phone a tool? Or is it a device? Devices use us. They get benefit from our attention. They get information. We don't win when we carry around a device. But if you start looking at it as an information tool, all of a sudden you don't have to have it in your pocket anymore. You can just set it down and go pick the tool up when you, when need. you need it. Yes. As opposed to something that's always right there. Like I said, it's almost like if you had a beer helmet and you got two straws going in your mouth, but you're walking around all the time trying to not drink. 
Yeah. I mean, unless people think that their lives are improved by staring into their phones all the time. Yeah. I mean, if that's where you're at with it, hey, keep going down that road. Let me know if you find something else out when you, you get won't to eventually. that extreme. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to wake up to this. Which is where some of the beauty of excess can come into play in your life. Is That is a motivator that, that lets you know where you didn't want to be. Yeah. Your cell phone to me at times, or you you call it a tablet, you call it a laptop. Cell phone seems to be the one that sticks screen. us the most. I, I call it a screen. Yeah. Because a, I don't even like TV. A computer or a phone. Yeah, they're all losses of presence. I think what's particularly unique about a phone is it's like having a child that never grows up. You're always worried about where it is. Does it have enough battery, a.k.a. food or fuel? Did I leave it somewhere? Does it need my attention? Is it yes. crying? <laughs> yes. Is it crying? What is that chirping? What is that tweeting? Why does it need me? And why won't it grow up? Well, it won't grow up because it's never going to change its state. It's always going to chirp at you. It's always it's going to have device. Some, it's not life. Yeah, it's not life, but it can take life. And I think that's the moral of our story here with moderation and devices. We're all going to walk through that path. We're all going to figure out what moderation is. But it's probably going to be on the other end of some pain. Mm -hmm. And and so if you start to feel the ripples of that pain coming up, it's time to look at how you're using devices and, and, and be candid with it. And I, I, like you, I remember times when people couldn't get a hold of me. And you know what? Those times can happen now, too. Yeah. And you it's can totally in my control. <laughs> it's totally in my control. Yeah. The, the, the thing I'll say to, to kind of finish this off, and it's not my own quote, but I still love it. The past is history. The future is a mystery. But right now is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Always be opening your present. And don't let anything take away from it. Whether it's a past you can't let go of because of your phone or a future that you're afraid of, your present is your gift. Enjoy it now. Be present. Stay in the moment. Get addicted to what's in front of you. Not a phone. Just a reminder to call the thought line. We're looking to help you. We're looking to find out how we can help you. And we're going to continue to grow by helping other people. So call that thought line. Tell us how we can help you. We look forward to it. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.